Let me invite you one final time uh, to um, Luke 15. Luke 15. And we will um, begin reading once again at, at verse 25 and read through the end of the chapter. Luke 15 at verse 25 says this. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come, and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed a fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time. And yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed a fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make Mary and be glad. For your brother was dead and is alive again, and was lost and is found. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, it endures forever. This morning we, uh, we wrap up our series on, um, on the parables, and we also wrap up our series on the specific parable of the parable of the prodigal son. But there's, there's one more thing that I want to I try and, uh, and make clear. Um, because the subject of this morning, I, I think, confuses Christians, but I know it confuses non-Christians. And, and it, has, it, it, it all has to do with the, the role of obedience. So what I'm going to try to do today is just clarify that. And if I can, <laughs> then we'll be done. Um, as the story closes, let, let me just kind of summarize where we are. I mean, where, where the story has brought us. Here, here's where we are. Um, we have one son the elder brother, who is um, standing out in the field, angry, refusing to go in, um, pouting, and indignant. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, <laughs> there's a party going on. Um, there's a big celebration at which the prodigal son is, is the guest of honor. Um, over the course of the, the party, some of the guests stop by to say hello to the prodigal son and, and to, to welcome him home. And, um, and the conversations that they have, they go, they go something like this. Um, one guy stops by and he says, <laughs> oh boy, you are one fortunate fellow. 
to have a father like that. <laughs> I mean, um, you know, I've never, I've never heard of anybody that would do what he's done. The prodigal son says, yes, sir. I know that now. He moves on, another guest stops by and says, um, well, boy, I mean, you really must have done something impressive to move your father to restore you to this family like he's done. The prodigal son says, um, no, sir, um, um, I didn't do anything. My being restored, my restoration to this family is, um, is completely because of who my father is. Not because of anything that I've done. In fact, I'm restored to this family in spite of what I've done. I mean, all this, none of this do I deserve. He moves on and another guest comes by and, and he says, um, Hey, um, have you heard about your elder brother? <laughs> uh, I mean, he's outside. He won't come into the party. <laughs> uh, boy, aren't you glad you're not like him? Uh, aren't you glad that you're not out there? Prodigal son says, um, yes, sir, I, I'm, certainly, um, I'm certainly glad I'm not out there. But, but you've got to understand this. Um, the, only, the only difference between me and my brother is my father. Um, I, I, I'm just as wicked as my, my elder brother. Um, I mean, sir, do you know what I did? Uh, yes, sir, I'm, I'm, I'm glad I'm, I'm in here. But I'm in here because of him, my father. Now, guys, I, I, I may have taken a little bit of poetic license with, uh, with the story, with that little conversation bit, but I'm, I'm trying to make a point. I, I'm, um, I'm suggesting that the prodigal son knows something about the father that the elder brother does not get. Um, the, 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 the younger son understands his father in a way that the, the, the elder boy just cannot fathom. There's, there's something about the father that, that the younger boy gets that the other boy does not understand. The, the elder boy does not understand. And the thing that he understands about his father is, um, is the thing that this parable wants us to know about. It wants us to know about grace. Guys, I have said all along, this parable is about grace. It is a masterpiece on grace. The prodigal son understands it. The elder brother does not. 
And I, and I, I would suggest to you that if, if, if we can understand the, the error of the elder brother, then I think we're going to better understand the father. Uh, we're we're going to better understand grace. If we can understand the error of the, of the elder brother, we get that, then I think it'll help us a whole lot. Uh, so let's uh, examine that one more time. The error of the elder brother. Basically, ladies and gentlemen, it is this. The elder brother has a concept of being in relationship with the father that is all wrong. His concept of what it means to be in a relationship to the father is all wrong. He assumes that as long as he performs well, um, as long as he lives up to certain standards, plays by certain rules, do, does things a certain way, um, <clears throat> that the father will be, will be pleased with him and uh, will thus <clears throat> reward him for his very excellent behavior. Um, but he will reward him based on his performance. And you know what, ladies and gentlemen, the, the elder brother can almost be excused for, for that kind of misunderstanding. Because I say to you, every other religion in the world today, um, that's exactly what they teach. What's, what's really important to all those other religions out there, ladies and gentlemen, is your performance, your lifestyle. Um, it's a lifestyle that's got to coincide with a, with a certain external code that has been cooked up by the, by the religion. Oh, and the codes differ from religion to religion, yes. But all of them have this one thing in common. My relationship to God is based on my performance. And so um, these religions offer advice. Advice to their adherents as to how they might live more acceptably to God so that he can reward them based on their performance. They're all like the elder brother. You see, all of spiritual life for the elder brother um, and for those other religions can, can be gauged by how well one succeeds in, in towing the line. Um, so basically what, what we're told, what the elder brother thinks is that the only thing that I got to do is, you know, work real hard out in my father's fields and, 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 you know, obey all of his rules and, um, then when it comes to my turn, you know, he'll, he'll reward me. When, in fact, the very opposite of that is the truth. 
Now, wait a minute, Jimmy. Uh, wait a minute. Wait, wait just a minute. Are, are you saying that grace means that I don't need to serve him? That I don't need to obey him and, and that, that, that I, I, uh, I can live any way I want to live? I mean, because if that's true, I mean, I'm going over to the faraway country and I'm, <laughs> I'm going to live it up for a while. No, ladies and gentlemen, I'm not saying that. But I can tell you this. That response, that response is always the predictable response to the preaching of grace. You know, ladies and gentlemen, if you hear me saying that grace means that I can get away with my sin, then that means that means that I'm preaching the gospel correctly. Because, you see, that's the way they, they responded to the Apostle Paul when he preached grace. You, you find it in the book of Romans. Paul would lay out the gospel of grace, and they would say, Oh, is that what you're saying? Oh, then let us sin so that grace can abound. Paul said, No, 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 you got it wrong. Grace does not encourage sin. Grace is the very thing that empowers obedience. And that's what I want you to see clearly, ladies and gentlemen. That's what I hope that you can leave here today with. A clear understanding of what grace does in terms of my behavior after I've grasped it. Let me do this. In your mind's eye, just in your imagination... I want you to step inside the party, the party that's going on in the, in the, in the parable. I want you to step inside the, par- the party, and I want you to go over to the prodigal son and sit down and talk with him. Carry on a conversation with the prodigal son and, and, and ask him something like this. Say, uh, what do you plan to do tomorrow? And he says, um, I mean, what do you mean? Well, I mean, <laughs> you know, now that you're, you're back in the family, I mean, you're going to text some of those prostitutes and tell them to meet you over here? <laughs> I mean, are you going to take the faraway country and just, and just move it over here? And the prodigal looks at you and says, Are you crazy, man? I mean, after, after what's just happened to me? I mean, did you see my father run down that road to embrace me? I mean, he had sandals on my feet and a ring on my finger and a robe on my shoulders before I could ever even finish my prepared speech. A- am I going to call some of the prostitutes? Are you crazy? No, sir. No, sir, I want nothing else to do with that faraway country. I'm going to spend the rest of my life saying thank you. By by, by working in his fields, by obeying his rules, and and any other way that I can think of that will tell him that I love him for what he's done for me. You know, guys, I don't know who said this. It wasn't me. This is way too smart for me. But it's, um, he said this. He said, discipleship, 
Christian discipleship simply means the life which springs from grace. (laughs) Discipleship is just that life that springs from rightly understanding grace. Guys, what God wants is not my good performance. What he wants is my heart. And the, and the more I see his beauty, the more I see what he did for me in Christ, the more of my heart he gets. Guys, as, as people who have been brought safely home, as people who, who belong to him, what we're, what we're going to do now is that we're going to live a life which hopefully will give him pleasure. Um, his acceptance I already have. It's his smile that I long for now. I'm already in the family. I'm at the party. Never to be removed. So now, I want to spend the rest of my life telling him how glad I am. I want to bring him pleasure. Guys, a gospel of a gospel of grace never undermines obedience it just puts obedience in its right place gospel obedience comes after i'm restored it's an expression of love for the father Obedience was never designed to allow me or enable me to purchase my ticket to the party. Obedience never becomes some kind of grounds upon which I can demand a fatted calf. Obedience. Obedience is that which flows naturally out of a heart that has been overwhelmed by grace. Guys, you got to understand, I hope, after ten sermons on this parable, this parable is not so much a parable of assurance to, to prodigal sinners. It is that. But it is more of a parable to Pharisees it, it, um, it's, a, it's a parable that's a warning to the religious crowd, the, the externally good people, the, the moral people. It's a warning about their obedience. It's a warning that says to them, nothing, nothing comes between you and God quicker 
then your morality, your decency, your respectability. You know, I think even Christians get confused over that. Guys, we, we, um, we Christians feel, we fall into a trap of, of believing that because in our minds we obeyed better than the other folks, then we earned something. That God owes us something. That God owes me a pain-free life or he, he owes me a, a, you know, a, a, a healthy marriage or successful kids because of my hard work for him. That's because we've got an elder brother streak in us, ladies and gentlemen. Guys, as Christians, our best performance, our best works, Augustine, St. Augustine called them splendid sins. Your best performance, the best thing you ever come up with as a believer, is a splendid sin. Do you know what the prodigal brought to the party? He brought splendid sins. That's what we bring to the party. But ladies and gentlemen, because of the Father, we're in the party. And do you know what we all have in common? Do you know what is true of all of us redeemed people, all of us restored people? You know what's, what we all have in common? We all possess a yielded heart. And do you know what produced that yielded heart? The beauty of the man. We've all been overcome by God's grace and mercy to people as wicked as we are. Even in people who, who have been once known for their notorious sin, all of us. We've been, we've been overcome by the beauty of what this man has done. And all of us take great delight in expressing our love for this God. How do we do that? How do we express our love for this God who has brought us into the party when we didn't deserve it? How do we communicate our love for him? In a life of obedience. Now, let, let, me, let, me, um, let me make one other observation which will really take us all the way back to the very first sermon in this series on the prodigal son. I want to remind you, I said this in sermon number one, but make no mistake about this, ladies and gentlemen, the hero 
The hero in the story of the prodigal son is the man. The hero in this story is the the man who had two sons. The hero of this story is how this man restores sinners. And, And people who are trying to save themselves by their morality, they hate that message. They hate that message because they want to be their own hero. They want to be their own saviors. They they think more of themselves than they do this man. And you see, guys, when, when when you define your relationship to the Father as something that consists in a list of rules and and orders and, and commandments. Do you understand that you really have a very low view of God and a very high view of yourself? Because if, you're, if your relationship to God consists of, of obeying rules, then what you're suggesting is that you are so good that you are capable of producing a life that will adequately satisfy this God. This, this whole thing is doable by me. You know, I, I would even bet that the elder brother really hated all those rules. And and he viewed the father's rules as things that he's got to endure if he ever was ever going to get a fatted calf. But but obeying all those rules for him was really a bummer. But that fatted calf, (laughs) when I get my fatted calf, it'll make it all worth it. He's got a higher view of the fatted calf than he does the father. You know, the implication, guys, is that the father, like some kind of cranky old curmudgeon, has, has drawn up an arbitrary set of rules, and they're designed to ruin all my fun. When, in fact, the rules given by the father are more like a list of dangers that we should avoid at all cost so that we don't get hurt. I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, elder brothers don't like this God. The hero of this story, they don't like. They have a very poor view of this man. And they have a very high view of themselves. This is, this is the way the elder brother thinks of, of the man, thinks of God. I found this in a, an excerpt from a book. The title of the book is Ordinary Times, and it's written by a woman by the name of Nancy Myers. And she tells of the years of her early life of mutiny against a God who could only be pleased if she 
would follow all of that list of onerous prescriptions and prohibitions. And this is what she says. I'm quoting. The fact that these, that is, these commandments and prohibitions and prescriptions, the fact that these took their most basic form as commandments suggested that human nature had to be forced into goodness because left to its own devices, it would prefer idols and profanity and leisure Sunday mornings with bagels in the New York Times, disrespect for authority, murder, adultery, theft, lies, and everything belonging to the guy next door. I was forever on the perilous verge of doing a don't to atone for which I had to beg forgiveness from the very being who had set me up for failure by forbidding behaviors he clearly expected me to commit in the first place. He was to me the God of the gotcha. That's how the elder brother views him. He's the God of the gotcha. Nancy Myers goes on. She said, she talks about how she hated the rules and how she broke them all. And she was constantly feeling guilty until, in her words, she says, until I learned to thrive. Listen, until I learned to thrive in the care of a God who asks for the single act that will make transgression impossible. Love. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is what I'm trying to teach this morning. Until I learned to thrive in the care of a God who asks for the single act that will make transgression impossible. Love. Unlike a fairy tale, um, this parable provides no happy ending. There's no resolution. I, I, I think the, the literary term is denouement. This, this parable has no denouement. It ends um, with kind of a dangling participle. Um, the story ends with the elder brother standing outside in the yard with his father listening to the party that's going on on the inside still angry will he will he go in well um, we're never told and you know I, I, I don't know whether I'm right here but I think Jesus leaves it that way on purpose I, I think he leaves it that way because it's up to each of us to finish to finish the story 
It's a story about a God who, who goes searching for me and doesn't rest until he's found me. And then he says, my son, come home. Come in, both of you. And of course, the hardest one to get to, to come home was the one who, who lived so close to home. But we have to decide whether we're going to stand outside alone in our angry self-righteousness or are we going to are we going to give up our our so-called rights and and go inside and take our place at a table full of reckless and broken sinners and scoundrels who are our brothers and sisters who are united by one thing, united by our relationship to our loving Father. A Father who refuses to give us the love that we deserve. but who cannot be prevented from giving us the love that we need. You know, guys, in a nutshell, the Bible from Genesis 3 all the way to Revelation 22, it uh, it, it teaches the very same It tells this very same story that is told in the parable of the prodigal son. From front to back, this is a story about a God reckless with desire to have his family back. A God who who struck the decisive blow of reconciliation when he sent his son to die in the place of sinners. The Bible's last scene, unlike the parable of the prodigal son, the Bible in its last scene ends in triumph because the family is united finally and totally. And it's there that we finally, once and for all, get an answer to the criticism that was leveled at Jesus in verses 1 and 2. Where the scribes and the Pharisees say, why? He receives sinners and eats with them. And to that, Jesus answers, you bet I do. Our Father, I do pray that you will help us to sort 
out the message of this parable and that we will hear clearly that it's not about a performance on our part. What it's about is a God who refused to give me what I deserved and gave me just what I needed. And that all of this foolishness about thinking that I can do enough and earn enough and live righteously enough to satisfy you is a false gospel, one that will damn me and leave me outside of the party forever. But for those of us who are inside the party, we celebrate having been restored. And we know We know at the base of our souls that the only reason we're in here is because of who you are, not because of what we've done. Father, you give us what we we deserve and we will perish. But you put that on Jesus Christ. He got what we deserved. And now, we spend the rest of eternity in a celebration of the grace of a triune God. Lord, if you brought people here today who have not yet seen that, would you open their eyes to see it in all of its beauty? We ask it, of course, in Jesus' name.